1: There is one question that has been asked by people in civilizations since the beginning of time. One question, perhaps you've asked it, perhaps you're in the process of asking it, today you might ask it for the very first time. It's a question that has eternal significance because it really deals with your eternity and it is this time phrased by an expert. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, turn with me, in our Father's word, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, in our Father's word, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Okay, we've got a problem right there. A lawyer is involved. That's the problem. We have a lawyer involved. Way to make the simple complex. Uh, Behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. This is the kind of guy that Italians would want to hang out with, somebody who's got an abundance of oil and wine. He has so much, he has excess to pour it on somebody's wound. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. One question that's supreme among all the others that you could ask, one question that we all ask at one time or another in life, One question that you must ask and you must have the right answer for, because if you don't have the right answer, it's eternally significant. If you have the right answer, it's eternally significant. And this time it's presented by an expert. An expert, the word that's used here is for the expert in the law is lawyer. This is somebody who was an expert in the Old Testament, the 613 laws from Genesis all the way through Malachi, 613 of them, many of them pertaining to priests and Levites, the Levitical laws, but many of them also pertaining to common, ordinary people, people like you and people like me. And so this man was a lawyer, an expert in those things, an expert in the Old Testament, and he comes to Jesus as a fly in the ointment. What do I mean, fly in the ointment? Because in verse 24 of Luke 10, Jesus has been having a private discussion with the disciples and it seems that this man, this lawyer, stands up and makes his statement as if he were in a court of law and interrupts what is up to this point an intimate discussion that Jesus is having with the 12. You see, Back up even to verse 23 of Luke chapter 10, and you'll see what I mean. Then turning to the disciples, he, Jesus, said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, referring to himself. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is having this private discussion with the apostles, the disciples. It's an aside comment that he's making. It's a teaching that Jesus is giving them as he's disclosing to them more about his own identity as they're part of that inner circle that's beginning to grow. And wouldn't you know it, while this is taking place, a so-called expert, a lawyer, stands up and ruins the party. But he asks a question, he asks the eternally significant question that you must ask and that you must answer, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this expert in the law seems to be off to a good start, but we, as the passage of time, begin to understand as Jesus takes him through this teaching and explains to him the story of what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, we understand that the man's question is fundamentally flawed because he thinks it's something that he does that gets God's attention to give him something he does not deserve and can never earn. What must I do to inherit eternal life. Now Jesus displays his humility in the face of this man who seems very clearly to be quite arrogant. We're not there. We don't see the facial expression on this lawyer. We don't hear the inflection in his voice. We don't see his body language. And so Luke has to give us some understanding here through the way he writes this with his words of what the people there were able to see, what the people there were able to hear, the nuances, the things, the subtleties that they were able to pick up on. Because if you just look at the words themselves, you wouldn't necessarily think that this is a bad question. In fact, it's an excellent question. It's just as a matter of how the question is asked. From what type of a heart is this question being asked? What is the motive of this question? And Luke helps us understand that the man is pretty much full of himself, unlike most attorneys. I will be prepared to answer emails all this week. Yes, I will. Unlike most lawyers, teachers of the law in their day, the expert in the law that this man was. In a contrast to the humility of Jesus, he stands up to put Jesus to the test, verse 25. And look at verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. Luke didn't have to provide those phrases but he does to give us insight into the arrogance of this man and the confusion of this expert. This man is an expert in the law and he doesn't understand. What kind of a teacher will this man be? The expert that he is trying to give God's people understanding that they must have, that this man is supposed to have, he's supposed to be imparting to the people that he's teaching expert answers, expert questions that his students should be asking so that they can arrive at the correct answers. And yet, it's very clear that he's askew, there's something not right about this expert, you know, it's possible to be an expert and still be status quo. It's possible to be somebody who knows so much that you don't know what you should know. The word that's used here, look with me, in verse 28, for correctly and he Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. The word correctly is from, it's the root from which we get the word orthodox. This is an orthodox response that you would expect from a Jewish person who is devout, from an expert in the law. This is the type of textbook response that you would expect. You would anticipate this from an expert in the law. But you know, there are times when being an expert simply makes you a status quo. All the man is able to do is answer according to the letter of the law while he misses the very one who's standing right in front of him. I mean, what if this man would have responded to Jesus by asking Jesus a question, what, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say is the answer to how I can inherit eternal life? And if the man approached Jesus with humility, maybe we would have been reading about a quite different outcome. Maybe we would have been reading about this man professing, this expert in the law, professing Jesus as his personal Christ, his personal anointed one, the one spoken of in the scriptures. But it doesn't go down that way. Your own humility or lack of humility determines quite a bit in your life. It does have an influencing factor on how God is responding to your questions and the condition of your heart as you ask those questions. And what we see here with Jesus is that he is completely capable, the expert communicator, knowing how to take this man from where he is, his perceived known to where he needs to be, because this expert is simply spousing answers, he's simply providing information without really understanding who it is that's standing before him. Notice the man's answer. Jesus says in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What humility from Jesus, giving this man the opportunity. You're the expert, we have the real expert, the author of the law, saying to this man, well, you're the expert, why don't you tell me? What's your interpretation, how do you read it? How does one inherit eternal life? And the audacity is that this expert doesn't blink, doesn't flinch, he immediately is able to give his response as if he knows how an individual can inherit eternal life. It's as if he is confident about his own position, his own qualifications to be somebody who has indeed inherited eternal life. Look what he says. Verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And what is he doing here? He's pulling from Deuteronomy chapter six and Leviticus chapter 19, he's taking two verses and he's marrying them, he's melting them together as the orthodox, devout Jewish person would do, as an expert in the law would be expected to do. He's pulling from the Shema. The Shema, that's the Hebrew word that means hear from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4. That's the beginning of the devout Jewish prayers. Even to this day, the Jewish prayers begin with the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, that's the word, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it continues up through verse 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes." You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The idea is that there's nowhere you'll be able to go from the word of God. Continual, perpetual reminders for you and for your children about the centrality of God's word. To do what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. That's what the expert of the law interprets Deuteronomy chapter six to be. And he adds to it Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's the motivating phrase, I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The specific example is given, don't take vengeance or bear a grudge. And then the principle is there, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus say? You've answered in the way that is what I would expect your response to be for somebody who's orthodox, for somebody who's devout, for somebody who's an expert in the law. From the youngest time, a child in Judaism is brought up to understand the Shema, brought up to understand that you are to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's the way that we love God. And Jesus says, You've answered correctly. You've answered in a way that I would expect you to answer, but the man brought too much rope to the party. He's about to hang himself. Look what he does. He should have quit while he was ahead. Maybe as a good expert in the law, as a good rabbi, this man, out of a matter of etiquette, could have asked Jesus for his input. He asked Jesus for his input, that's for sure, but he asks it with a motive that Luke helps us understand. In verse 29, Luke chapter 10, but that three-letter word that says so much, this is the rope that the man has now brought to his own party that's going to be used to hang himself. He's gone too far, he's saying too much, you just wish you'd quit while you're ahead and he doesn't. He's so much of an expert, he knows so much. Know anybody who knows so much that they just won't shut up? Just won't come up for air? But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. See, the man was more a commoner than an expert. Had more in common with you and me than he might have even realized himself. His struggle is the same struggle that you and I have. Don't we? Don't we think that there's something that we can do? Certainly, there must be something I can do, something I can stop doing. How about that? That would gain me favor and approval with God. Certainly there must be some way that I can justify myself. And this is what the expert in the law did not understand about the Christ who was prophesied about in the law, to whom the law and the prophets testify they all point toward at that moment they were all pointing toward I mean you would have been able to hear a pin drop if that man would have shut his mouth they were all pointing at the one standing in front of him the one who could have been his advocate as Jesus is talking is referred to in the scriptures our advocate Jesus is our advocate pleading the child of God's case before the father Here is Jesus, here is the expert in the law, and the expert in the law is seeking to justify himself. Thinking that there's something he could do, something he could stop doing, something that would give him the right, give him the opportunity to gain entrance into heaven. And what does Jesus do? In the humility that Jesus models for us without even flinching, Jesus launches into a parable that will help this man understand that there's no way that you can get yourself eternal life. There is no way that you can justify yourself. There's no way that you can do something on your own behalf because I'm going to show you how far you fall short of what is required in order to have eternal life and that's when Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's good in comparison to a Levite and a priest. Look with me in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't even get the guy's name. Could have been any man. Of any age, any difficulty, any problem, could have been anybody. It's insignificant who it was. What becomes significant is who he meets. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by, On the other side, now some have speculated that maybe this priest didn't want to touch this man because he would have made himself ceremonially unclean. But the priest was also obligated, if he saw somebody who was dead, to care for that person. So I don't think it's so much a matter of that priest being concerned about making himself ceremonially unclean. I think it was a matter of this priest being on his way to do great things for God. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. This guy's a priest, right? What do priests do? They offer sacrifices in the temple. They minister in the temple courts. There can't be anything more significant than ministering in the temple. I mean, you're a priest. You wear the garb that tells everybody you're a priest. You speak the language that a priest speaks. You wear the frontlet between your eyes with the scriptures, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, right here. You have scriptures written around your hands so that you're reminded when, when you look at your hand everything you do is to be for God. Your mind is supposed to be dedicated to God. And by the way, it's no coincidence that the Antichrist forces everybody, both great and small, to receive a mark on their forehead and on their right hand. Hmm. Counterfeit system. Counterfeit to the plan and purpose of God. It's not rocket science. It's very easy to see that this is a counterfeit system That's coming onto the whole world, even now, what's happening in world events with globalization. We're marching toward the collapse of our financial system, which will usher in a new financial system. It might be regionalized first with the North American currency and then other currencies similar to what's happened with the Euro and the European Union, but it is marching toward a one-world government where people will be forced, great and small, prestigious and Wannabes, everybody's going to be forced to receive a mark on their forehead and on their right hand, a counterfeit to the kingdom plan agenda of God. Well, this priest walking down the road and sees a man half dead on the side of the road he's got bigger better things to do he's got bigger fish to fry he's a priest he just finished doing his sacrifices in jerusalem he's going from jerusalem down to jericho the terrain would have been rocky the altitude would have been a different altitude jericho was much lower than jerusalem and this priest maybe is reflecting on his service at the temple grounds He's already done his quote-unquote service. You know anybody who's got a calling from God, heavenly-minded, and then an interruption of life comes. An unexpected circumstance of life comes and they just have no time to engage in ministry. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who struggles with being so devoted and so dedicated to God, so single-minded and purpose that they just don't have time for some, nobody, some down and out, because they're busy doing God's work. Now the Levite does the exact same thing. What was a Levite? Levite didn't offer the sacrifices in the temple, but they helped the priests in the preparation and the cleanup of the sacrifices. They helped in the upkeep of the temple grounds. That's what the Levites did. It was the Levites and the priests, those were the ones who were at the temple ground area and this Levite is off with bigger fish to fry himself. Engaged in ministry, been there, done that. Ain't nobody got time for this guy on the side of the road. Bigger fish to fry, serving God fulfilling and obeying the call of God in his life. And what Jesus is saying is that the people that you would expect to be the ones who would be used of God end up being the antagonists in the story. The ones who should have been the experts in compassion and empathy and ministry end up being the ones who royally miss a golden opportunity. And who shows up as the hero of the story? Who shows up as the protagonist, the one who Jesus is louding, as the one who should be the example for you and for me? And in that day, for the expert in the law who needs to be taught that he's falling short of the standard of God, it's the most... Unlikely of all players, if you were to have picked somebody, you couldn't have picked somebody more despised by an expert in the law than a half-breed, sellout, compromising, low-life Samaritan. The real expert Jesus is teaching the wannabe expert lawyer what it really means to do ministry, what it really means truly to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. What it means to love your neighbor as yourself and who is your neighbor, Jesus says, everybody is your neighbor. Anytime you see a need, You are to love God and to love your neighbor by reaching out and helping meet that need. Not to walk down the road as if you've got bigger fish to fry, as if you can't take time for this interruption. Life will be interrupted multiple times for you throughout this week. Get over it. It's not coincidence. The interruptions are opportunities. Opportunities to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your might, they're opportunities for you to love your neighbor as yourself. You do not know when you will see somebody on your way to Jericho. I have found by failure in my own life some of the most golden, ripe for the picking, easy fruit, tap it or it'll fall off the tree. Times for ministry are right after I've just got done, quote unquote, ministry. I have put in my time. I'm tired. I Don't I sound like a whiner even when I say that? I'm tired, I'll be tired after today and I'll be spending time with my family and I can guarantee you with God as my witness there will be opportunities to minister to my family that I must be aware of. I must pay attention, life is happening. Pay attention, golden opportunities are being dropped your way, they're being dropped my way. They disguise themselves as chance circumstances. They disguise themselves as Below your dignity. Because God has bigger plans for you. After all, you're God's chosen and anointed. He's promised you to use you mightily. Here, a Samaritan as he journeyed, someone who intermarried with non-Jewish people, someone who didn't go to Jerusalem to worship, Somebody who's considered a sellout, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was in verse 33. And when he saw him, he had what the Levite didn't have. He had what the priest didn't have. He had compassion. Now, sympathy is no substitute for action. He had the kind of compassion that made him stop in his tracks, change his agenda, cost him personal, financial, charge. Changed his agenda that was in his iPhone or his iPad that day. Everything stops for this Samaritan because he realizes that somebody needs help. And this is what compassion looks like. He had compassion, verse 34, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He said a seedy place. Inns were not the best place to hang out. You have people from New Jersey hanging out in these places. I can say that I'm from New Jersey. He's at an inn putting his own life now at risk for robbery and the type of fate that the man who he's helping had incurred, and he's taking care of him. In verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii, two full days' wages, two full days' wages. And what does he do? He gives them to the innkeeper, which we don't even know if the innkeeper is a trustworthy person. And he says, take care of him and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. His compassion, he's putting action behind his compassion. He's integrally involved in the welfare of this person he didn't even know. I'll repay you when I come back. Verse 36, Jesus, in true rabbinical fashion, gives the story with the summary teaching at the end. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? of the man who fell among the robbers. In other words, Mr. Expert in the law, talk is cheap. Anybody can have the right theological answer, quoting scripture, none of us do it. Memorizing scripture, spouting it out, having the right word at the right time, and the right opportunity, and impressing people, even impressing ourselves. Jesus says talk is cheap. Which of these three guys proved to be the neighbor? In a day and age when talk is cheap, in a day and age when our country's going to hell in a handbasket, and I don't mean that figuratively, in a day and age when there are more churches being planted in the United States of America than at any other time in history, why is it that the moral decline continues? Why is it that we are so consumed with ourselves, so enamored with ourselves, so self-justifying that we don't have time to stop and help what so desperately needs to be helped? If you don't do it, who will? Some priest, some Levite to come along and. Help those around you who you see firsthand, who you know need help because they're in your world, in your sphere. Who are the people in your life that God has placed? What are the interruptions in your life that have come your way that you may not have time to slow down while you're serving God and help these people out and really serve God and really love God and really Love your neighbor. All around you abound opportunities. All around me abound opportunities to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer, can't even say the word Samaritan. Realizes that he hung himself and going too far, should have quit while he was ahead. Maybe there's a heavy gulp at this point and a gasp and a dejected look down at the ground as he confesses and admits that he's been defeated in a court of law, Jesus court. And the expert comes up and the empty handed as the conviction of God falls upon him and he says the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the man asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically says, I'll tell you what you have to do to inherit eternal life. I'll tell you what you can do to inherit eternal life. You can love God flawlessly. You can love your neighbor flawlessly. Have you done that? If you do that, you can have eternal life and the man very clearly, the expert in the law, understands that no, he hasn't done that. And he's got some overcoming to do in that regard that the man, the expert, is now outside of himself, in over his head in a very real sense, because he's got a problem that you have, I've got the problem that you have, we all have the same problem. We need somebody to help us do what we will not do in the natural. We need somebody to help us become what we will not become in the natural. We need to take to heart Romans chapter three, verse 20. In Romans 3.20, if this man only understood the expert in the law who was standing before him with the clarity that we now see in hindsight in Romans 3.20, maybe he would have, Accepted Christ. Become a real expert in the law. Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The original language actually says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. It says the same exact thing. There's not one person on this planet who will be justified by observing the law because there's not a person on the, this planet who can observe all of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. There's the purpose of the law. Look with me at Romans three twenty-one, and following through verse 28. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at this, and are justified by his grace, his undeserved favor as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the substitution for what you needed to pay but you couldn't because you can't clean a filthy table with a dirty rag whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Notice it's God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. Who's just and the justifier? God is of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of your boasting? The expert in the law is boasting, seeking to justify himself, boasting. Your boasting, my boasting, anything that we think that God is going to look at of our own strength, our own power, our own ability, things we do that we think are awesome, things we don't do that we know we shouldn't do, there is no boasting for that. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of, a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What did this man need to do to inherit eternal life? He needed to accept Jesus as the one who fulfilled the law. The lawgiver standing right before him was the one who could have given him eternal life. There's no way for that man to justify himself. He had already fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus very clearly demonstrated within a a moment's time of just telling the parable that you fall short. You don't measure up. You cannot justify yourself. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's the purpose of the law. That's what Romans 3.20 is all about. Look at Romans 3.20 again. That's what it's saying here. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in the sight of God, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Understanding the standard of God is what leads us to the point of throwing our hands up and say, what am I going to do? I can't justify myself. I can't give myself entrance into heaven. I need God to be the justifier of my life. I cannot justify myself. And that's why in Galatians chapter two, verse 21, this potent passage of scripture is one that's worthy as all that we've been looking at today, committing to memory. Galatians 2, 21. I do not nullify the undeserved favor of God, the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law as the expert thought it was, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The whole reason why Jesus died was to fulfill all the law. The whole reason why Jesus was sinless without any sin whatsoever so that he would pay the price that you and I can't pay. He's the embodiment of all the pleasure of God the Father. That God would make him who was without sin become sin for you and for me, and if only this quote unquote expert in the law who had the scriptures memorized, who knew how to give the orthodox expected status quo answers, understood who was standing before him, If only he had humbled himself and asked Jesus for his opinion and really been open to it, maybe we'd be reading the story in an entirely different way. And the same is true in your life. What if you were to approach God as the modus operandi of your life with humility that at any time, at any moment, God can speak to you and teach you and train you, teachability, it's one of the prime hallmarks of humility. Do we in any times, in any way, seek to justify ourselves? We do it all the time, sin is so subtle, so cunning, we think that there is something that we can do that would get God's attention more than we already have it through the blood of Jesus. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, and I mean the moment, something changes in your life. You inherit eternal life because God justifies you at that moment, not because you observed all of the Old Testament law, but because you observed the lawgiver Jesus, because you've given your life to Jesus who fulfills all of the law. If righteousness could be obtained through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And think about it this way. If it's not possible to be justified by observing all of the Old Testament commandments and they were given by God, then what kind of a law or commandment might you be following that's just absolutely ridiculous by comparison? I mean, if God gave the law, and he did, and he requires that we fulfill the law in order to be righteous, which we can't, then why would we think that cleaning up our dirty socks or putting away our underwear or saying nice things or writing checks to charities, why would we think that God's going to look at that more favorable when we haven't even been able to fulfill what he tells us he requires from every single one of us? You see, through the law, we become conscious of sin, through the law we become conscious of how we all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, all of us fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the gift of God's grace through the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why God raised Jesus from the dead. And in so raising him, he was making his statement that I approve of the sinless life and flawless sacrifice of Jesus, that he fulfills all of the law. And by faith in him, you can be justified and have the certainty of eternal life
0: you've been listening to the michael anthony bible teaching podcast if you enjoyed this message you'll love michael anthony's courage matters podcast where he focuses on leadership relationships and world events to learn more visit couragematters.com or download the free courage matters app interested in requesting michael for an interview guest appearance or as a keynote speaker for your event Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.